Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the weekly Wednesday for the Financial Freedom Newsletter, where every week, every Wednesday, we delve into something inspirational, motivational, something excerpt taken from the Financial Freedom Weekly Newsletter. Wherever you are, if you're listening on Spotify, on iTunes, Google, be sure to click the like, subscribe, share, comment. Without ado, let's get into the show. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast episode. Today's conversation and topic is all about financial planning, finances, financial independence, ethical, responsible investing, as well as succession planning. I've got a fantastic guest with me today, Daryl Lyons. He's a CFP, and it's going to be a fantastic discussion. So, Daryl, welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, you, uh, you're also a podcast host called Retire in Texas. I'm also in Texas, too. Um, but tell people your story and what you do and how you came to be about. Yeah, so uh, to make a short story long, I... Uh, I really grew up without money, and uh, we, you know, we we had struggled over the years. We ended up living in a little um, trailer on the side of the road in, in Castroville, Texas, and I just was always curious about money. Probably about age eighteen, that curiosity never stopped. Went to undergraduate school, postgraduate work, and just studying money and being curious about it. I, I started retiring in Texas. Uh, by the way, I'm CEO and co-founder of a company called Pax Financial Group, and so I started retiring in Texas because. I was having incredible conversations, kneecap to kneecap, um, people who had transitioned into retirement. And I was getting more qualitative information that I thought was pretty valuable. Just stories about how people transitioned successfully, emotionally. Um, but it was hard to articulate those conversations. So I decided to do a podcast where I interviewed all of them and uh, had a great response. So I'm interviewing, I don't know, I probably interviewed 50 or 60 of people that I knew that had uh, transitioned from working to retirement. And uh, when I when I got through my, my, my uh, I guess you would call it natural market, I, uh, I didn't have any more people. I mean, I did, but it was sporadic. And then I started moving it to, to just individual market commentary, which has been a blast, uh, just kind of giving people hope in the midst of the, the chaos uh, that we hear in the marketplace, whether it's the debt ceiling or just political issues. I try to, I try to uh, frame the markets in such a way that people can digest it um, in in the context of their personal lives. So how does this affect me, whether um, whether you know rising interest rates or rising gas prices, how does this act, actually impact, impact me? And I look at life, uh, frankly, through a Christian worldview. I try to not to preach too much, but that's just the lens I look at things through. And so I express that about a 15 minute conversation on retiring Texas. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting because uh, I have you know, uh, um, this conversation, we're going to talk about government and how people distrust the government. And we'll talk about, you know, new technologies, financial innovations, um, you know, which a lot of bad actors have got into. But, uh, you know, real quick, you know, in kind of the basics is um, you were extremely 
interested in money and you made this really um and i really love spiritual spiritual based investing because it's based on a lot of good values and principles um i think the world has really become immoral and corrupt but it's good to have individuals such as yourself um so kind of uh talk about um uh, this idea of uh spiritual based responsible investing like values uh, how it can help you and your family, et cetera. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, I, I don't have one in front of me, but I, oh, here it is. So this will be coming out. Uh, this is my book that'll be coming out on that subject. Um, I'll give you more information on that, but let me answer your question first, um, because the, the, the point is not to pitch a book. The point is, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to, to, to come that way. I get excited because um, there is an appetite, something different in the investment marketplace, because when you invest in a company, you actually have ownership of a company and ownership um, implies some type of va uh, responsibility. You know, I own a small business, right? And so I'm one of nine owners, so I have a certain responsibility, but we tend to discount that responsibility when we own shares of a company through a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund. We kind of discount and set aside that ownership. But what we've seen in the marketplace is that it does matter and for the last several years, there's been a growing uh, corporate shift to an area called ESG. Uh, the ESG has taken on, uh, rather than, the, you know, the name is environment social governance. So at first glance, you might think that uh, it has good intentions, but there has been uh, some hijacking of that to push through some agendas that may actually be antithetical to the shareholders worldview. Does that make sense? Like. It's happening and I see it, I actually see it a lot because I'm very much engaged with Wall Street. I, I have conversations with the with the big Black Rocks and the Vanguards on a very intimate level with some of their executive teams. So I've known what's been going on over the last several years, but there comes a time where you say um, enough's enough and how can we collectively uh, pull our assets together in such a way that uh, we can raise our hand and say, we disagree with the with what you're doing and it does take a concerted effort and i think there's been some uh, a collective voice that's been happening uh, and some resistance and so i play a small role of putting a pebble in the shoe of some of the asset managers we work with to have them second guess uh, their agenda which they believe to be true that there's another uh, different opinion out there and we believe in diversity of opinion and so we want to make sure that we kind of help another group of people that are, have a lot of influence in the marketplace think before they act and um, we're seeing this have a lot of success so when people invest with us um, we do traditional like retirement planning like everyone else but um, somebody might come to us and we might say do you uh, find that uh, value investing is important to you and if they do then we will uh, open up a framework of different investment solutions that might work for them if not then we've got the normal secular stuff and then um, what we also find that's very interesting is that some of the asset managers that work in the values-based investing, they do something called proxy voting, where they will actually vote on behalf of their shareholders because shareholders get these proxy votes and they throw them away. Um, but we're actually trying to find asset managers that can um, vote on behalf of the values of our shareholders. And it's really hard to be completely aligned 100% uh, with these asset managers. You may have like my my worldview is a biblical worldview and I use um, biblical responsible investors and not all of their framework of screening is 100% aligned with mine. But I just 
to, to what I look at is, are they mostly aligned and they're voting and they're actually making a difference? There's been actually, I can think of one case just recently where one of the managers that we use um, had Costco in their portfolio and Costco started use their, using their profits to promote some activism that was uh, uh, what we saw to be uh, antithetical to this profile, to our investors profile. So the CEO of this investment management firm called the CFO of Costco and said, hey, you're using your profits for something that you initially told us you didn't do. The CFO said, wait a minute, is that true? And, and, and found out it was a rogue branch of Costco, I think in Georgia, that was doing something that they shouldn't have been doing. And so they stopped that. And so those are the, the those are the little things that we can do in the marketplace to start to have the pendulum swing. And we're playing a role in that and finding it to be pretty valuable for our clients' lives. And at the same time, sorry to be long-winded, we want to make sure that we don't, um, as a result of using a, a framework to screen out companies, we want to make sure we don't uh, lose portfolio returns. And the marketplace, this is why I just about three years ago, I just got into this space because prior to three years ago, there was a drop off in portfolio returns, mainly because of the cost of, of, of execution. Because of technology, even AI, the cost of executing these types of features has been minimized. And so we're not seeing that drop off in performance and research is uh, testifying to that. So long, yeah. sorry to be long winded, but it's obviously a passion place for me. Yeah, it's quite interesting, this whole ESG thing and um, uh, just, you know, climate change, uh, you know, here in Texas, we had a really bad drought and, you know, it's September and it's still 90 degrees. One question I have is um, with, uh, you know, CFP and uh, spiritual based investing, you have this, uh, but you know, one thing is, uh, how do you reconcile spiritual based investing with what's going on on Wall Street, uh, with the government, or taxes are going to waste, and then you know, pretty much the U.S. system is broke and just keeps borrowing, and there's so much greed. Is that just headlines, or is that really happening, or you know, what are you seeing? Well, you know, there no, there's there's no doubt. You know, our gov our government spending more than they're making, and I think it's incumbent upon us as Americans to 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 take inventory of our own habits. Um, we aren't that good at uh, saving. Um, we aren't that good at taking care of our health, and as a byproduct of of not really, and not everyone's this way, right? But but many of us are, and so as a result, the government has try to fill that void of both healthcare and um, future investments and future pensions, which is social security. So we look at the two, the two items on the balance sheet of, or the income statement of uh, United States and it's social security, Medicare. Those are the two major uh, issues that we're dealing with. Um, military as part of, is maybe third, but those two, Medicare and social security, the big ones. And, you know, nine years, social security is done, it's toast. And so, Unfortunately, we've got to just do a better job of saving and and uh, Americans need to save 15% of our gross income. I mean, we just can't, we have to stop depending on the government for that. And I know that's not everyone's in a situation to do that. Look, I've been poor and I've been rich and I know it's a challenge. Even frankly, both of those situations, probably more when it's poor and you don't, you don't have 15%, but we've got to start saving 15% of our gross income. And then secondly, in regards to our healthcare, we have to uh, consider our health care and taking care of our future selves. And and the traditional health insurance marketplace has options. And again, being in the kind of, uh, you know, what we consider ourselves as fiduciaries who honor Judeo-Christian values 
And we do look at alternatives, traditional healthcare. For example, there's a couple different alternatives out there called MediShare and Samaritan Ministries that have been around for over 20 years that are, that are I think, very viable solutions for people to get uh, uh, some type of quasi uh, coverage. I've, I, I've used it and I feel very comfortable with it. So there is, I think at the end of the day, there is uh, too much dependence on a government that is extremely flawed and the only thing that we can do is control what we control. And I think it's incumbent upon us to think of our future selves a little differently. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, basically, people taking responsibility. It starts with good habits, you know, just basically saving, you know, honesty, integrity, taking care of yourself, um, you know, spending less than you make, uh, exercising, working out, you know, these types of things, you know, carrying through, follow through what you say you're going to do. Um, yeah, I think we steer far away from just you know, basic. This question is, uh, one thing is uh, talking about is, um, uh, what is pivot retirement planning and why is it different? Yeah, good question. So pivot, um, the idea is sitting down with all these people over the years, which are great people that were transitioning in retirement. If you look up the definition of retirement, it's uh, the, uh, the disposition uh, of an asset over its useful life. Uh, the disposition of an asset over its useful life. And so I thought about that. I was like, okay, well, I don't want my um, my clients, my community have a life that's no longer useful. So how can we pivot? How can, in, in fact, the client said, I'm not going to retire, I'm going to pivot. And I, so I took it from them and I haven't stopped using it. All my office uses it, my community uses it, my clients. And pivoting means we're pivoting into a chapter that's just different. Um, when you when you retire, um, you know, if you think about somebody who retires, I mean, there's like a 40%, I think Harvard did this study, you can double check me on this, 40% probability that you'll have a heart attack, increase in probability you'll have a heart attack um, one year after you retire. And so how do you transition and how do you pivot in such a way? And, and, uh, they asked a group of nine year old women, if you could do anything different in life, what would you do different? And they said, they would do three things. They would stop and smell the roses. They would take more risk and they would do something that would outlive them. And so rather than having a life of maybe Fox news and flower beds, uh, that just, you just kind of sit around, um, what can you do that has a material impact? I mean, you've got wisdom, you've got time, and maybe you've got a little money. And so I think it's incumbent upon us to start pivoting rather than retiring. And I think we'll all have a better life accordingly. And, and, you know, a lot of people, there's a whole generation of people that didn't receive the mentoring and the fathering that they needed. And there's a, then there's an aging population, a silver tsunami of people that, that have the resources, the time and energy. And if they could just find a way to reach down and help those people, I think our country will be in a much better place, but it, it doesn't happen if we retire. It only happens if we pivot. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And the uh, things that talking about is uh, this idea of, uh, uh, you talk about this idea of behavioral finance. Well, what is that? Yeah, behavioral finance is kind of the foundational piece of how we operate at our organization. So it's a collision of neuroscience, psychology, and traditional finance, which it sounds like a lot, but when it comes down to it, it's for us, it's making sure that we have some type of uh, framework and system. When we're sitting down with the client, kneecap to kneecap, that we understand uh, their priorities, their goals and values, not only the the what we would say the the money nerd in the family, but also what we might also say the non-CFO spouse, the one that doesn't like to talk about money. We want to grab from them the very heart of what it means to be uh, thinking about money. For example, I've sat down with somebody and said, um, "What's most important to you?" And and it's a it's actually a very structured, organized way to ask questions. But what's most important to you? And I, and I remember a, a spouse saying, "Well, I want to leave a legacy to my uh, family because." you know, we didn't have anything when my, uh, when my parents died and I was without, I mean, I had to climb out of a hole and 
that that's so important that I capture that and memorialize that. Sometimes it's even a surprise to the spouse who've been married 20 or 30 years that that was that important to her. So it's it's taking inventory of those values and priorities and then aligning it with the money decision. So now every decision that they make, maybe not every decision, but the material money decisions they make, I have to make sure it's my responsibility as their guide to make sure that the money decisions they make align with that priorities. And there's not a disconnect or cognitive distance between those two things. And so that's really the very essence of behavioral finances it matching values and priorities and goals with money decisions and keeping those things aligned uh, not just doing it in one transactional sense and doing a little paper exercise but you know making sure that everything you do along the journey of life is is consistent not we don't have inconsistency between you know if we think about inconsistency of our words and our behaviors but there's a lot of inconsistencies between our, our behaviors and our money. And I try to align those things up a little bit better. And it's it's through the process of, it's an academic process rooted in Daniel Kahneman's work, Thinking Fast and Slow, but it's behavioral finance. Yeah, I think uh, one of the um, recent Nobel Prizes in economics were in behavioral finances and really talking about markets. Um, really fascinating, I've always, interested in, in uh, you know reading about these guys you know the other thing is you talk about you talk about giving challenge and uh, being on the Ramsey Advisory Council uh, what is that yeah so the uh, you know I used to uh, work closely with Dave Ramsey was he had an advisory council yeah Dave Ramsey's a, a financial guru out of Nashville I'm assuming that I mean, not everybody knows about him. I uh, believe it or not. It's funny when I talk to my friends on Wall Street, they don't know Dave Ramsey. <laughs> probably should. Uh, he's influenced more people with their money than any financial person. But yeah. um, I, I really enjoyed Dave for many years, and he is a very sincere guy. And I worked on his advisory council and helped him just wrestle with some business decisions over the years. And it was just a, an honor and a pleasure to be a part of that council. And so, uh, you know, frankly, Dave was a good tailwind. Uh, he was the catalyst for our success as an organization at our company, Pax Financial Group. Um, I don't really connect with his team that often anymore, just kind of went in a different direction, but very amicable and very respectful of what they've done and they continue to do. So that's the uh, Ramsey. What was the other one that you asked about? The other thing that we were talking about was this, um idea is giving challenge and you also started a um, ministry in Moldova. Talk about that. Oh goodness, gosh. Uh, yeah. So the giving challenge is every year we take inventory of our, um, so I, I, I'll mention this in the giving challenge real quick. Every year we take inventory of our business and if we have something that we, we have a methodology that we do this, If um, but we basically say, hey, did we have more profit than we thought? And if so, then we give a portion of those profits to nonprofits in our community and we have our team select those nonprofits and it's a fun way we actually video do a production of it they're on YouTube you can check them out the giving challenge but a couple things that happen on the giving challenge we've done we videotape two of them um, and I say videotape YouTube whatever you call it now but we've we've produced two two videos and those are online you can check those out and there's a lot a lot of fun um, and then the ministry um, in Moldova. So there's this guy who played for the San Antonio Spurs. He's a Hall of Famer. His name's David Robinson. And him and I connected to uh, with a guy in Moldova, who, which is Eastern Europe and uh, and Ukraine. They have ministries in Ukraine and Moldova. Kind of drifts into Romania sometimes, but mainly Moldova. And they get kids off the streets onto the basketball courts and te teach them about life and Jesus and leadership. And it's just it's growing up over there and so what we had to do when we connected with them over overseas because 
there was a, a real need and starvation and a hole of hope over there because it's former communist culture and concrete buildings and not a lot of hope. So when we're able to just invest a little time and resources and money over there, it's blossomed and it's become competitive basketball and it's creating some incredible leaders. And uh, it's actually giving a lot of hope. In fact, I was talking to a guy this morning that's running part of the ministry in Ukraine. He's got five kids. He's a coach in Ukraine, a former professional basketball player, and he refuses to leave Ukraine. I, I mean, <laughs> because, and his family's there because of the kids, because of the kids that he coaches. And um, man, I, you know, it gives me goosebumps on my goosebumps because that's real commitment to the lives of others. And so what can I do over here to help support those um, individuals? Uh, you know, I can write them a check and I can cheer them on, but they're doing a lot of the hard work. And so it's called the Admirals Basketball Academy. Really proud of the way they've stepped up, up given the, the environment in Ukraine. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And, uh, we know we have, uh, we're coming to the close of the conversation, which I really enjoyed, uh, you know, talking with you about, you know, before we close it out, one question I love to ask, or is my, I'm very curious is, have clients come to you asking questions about digital assets? I hate using the word cryptocurrency because it's such a, has such a negative connotation and it's like filled with so many bad actors and just criminals. And so my question is, have people come to you asking about digital assets and what are your thoughts on the space? Yeah, I'm, and we're we're one of the few RIAs in the country that actually have a, a methodology to have our clients own digital assets. We're comfortable with it, uh, namely Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, you know, we can do some peripheral stuff. Uh, Gemini's the the custodian there, for lack of a better word, and um, so we're comfortable with it. But you know, it. it obviously the risk, the amount of exposure you have relative to your entire portfolio is it's got to be less than 5% at this point. Um, and, and we still, it's, we're still trying to figure out the behavior. I mean, in the investment world, we have what we call, um, you know, correlation is an important terminology is to understand the correlation between that as an asset class relative to other types of investments. And so I, you know, you, you can take, you can get exposure to the NASDAQ, which is a, a composite generally of technology companies. And you can see there's still a high correlation these alternative assets and NASDAQ. Now, some sometimes those correlations break, but I still don't have a good, I, I don't still have a good risk profile of it to, to put a meaningful bet or investment. So, you know, when you have less than 5%, you can, it can behave however it wants and it's not going to ruin your future. And so we're not, we're not terribly opposed to, you know, a hard storage type of environment, those types of uh, either Ethereum or Bitcoin, but we don't actually go out and promote it. It's mainly because a client says, I want it. And then we have a, we have, a, we have a method to adopt it. Basically what you're describing is basically a very nascent industry hasn't quite matured yet still has to go through you know regulate regulatory approval and it's just still early beginnings yeah but it's good to ha have exposure you know in case you have price you know suddenly spikes and you have exposure to that or as long as you know you're talking about affording the uh, downside risk you know five percent or less you know that's not going to kill you if it goes to zero um which is interesting but again you know it's, it's a what's interesting is always it's like technology it was like the internet boom just, uh you know just very early days the gold rush um 
which is really interesting. Yeah, it's uh, and I love this idea where you're talking about um, you still don't have a handle on it just because it's so early. How can people contact you, follow you, uh, reach out to you, check out your work, etc.? Yeah, first of all, all, these questions, every single one of them, I want to talk for like 30 minutes because it's so enjoyable. <laughs> like even crypto and it's such a fascinating topic. I mean, everything. You covered so much in a so so short amount of time. And I, I do I do have a passion for what I do. And so people can connect with me um, so many different ways. I mean, LinkedIn's good because it's a good professional way to connect with me. Um, and then, of course, PAX Financial Group, P-A-X Financial Group uh, is a good uh, way I, I will have that book I mentioned. I'll have that available for pre-sale soon, and then there's some gifts that you get when you do the pre-sale. Uh, but it hasn't launched yet, so it'll officially launch uh, probably January. My publisher, I think, has a January 30th launch date. I have several other books out there, but that's the one I've been out there promoting, kind of. And I'll, by the way, all proceeds of that book—it's called Biblical Responsible Investing. All proceeds go to uh, these four kids that live in my house. So just thank you for the. <laughs> The, uh, the the promotional there but pax financial group and uh, linkedin are the two best uh, sites excellent and uh for all the audience let's thank daryl for coming on uh, i really enjoyed this talk about just uh responsible investing and uh just talking about you know different reconciling differences and uh, all of daryl's resources will be in the links and show notes and when his book comes out that'll be included as well and uh with that thanks so much for coming on to the podcast Thanks for having me. This is fun. Appreciate it. Great questions. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Thank you.